This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. We are on the road today at the Royal Botanical Gardens for the Corridor Summit. Now, we talked about this on the program a couple of weeks ago. This is the uh, the son of the Economic Summit, uh, that of course, and then the Bay Area Summit. Uh, so this is generational, I guess. But uh, it's amazing how this has evolved and what's going to be happening here today at the RBG with a number of incredible speakers, uh, breakout sessions, and it's all about growing the economy. It's all about working together uh, in this whole area along this fabulous corridor that uh, has evolved in the last little while. And you're going to hear from a lot of the participants in that today. Start things off with the program. We're so pleased to welcome, uh, well, one of our hosts today, Keith Hoey, the President and CEO for the Burlington Chamber of Commerce. Good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you again, Bill. This is uh, several times I've been on your show now, and I, I enjoy it every time. Uh, always a pleasure to have you here, and always a pleasure to be out here for the summit. And uh, I guess that we had on by phone a couple of weeks ago, but now we actually get a face-to-face. Jan De Silva, who is the President and CEO of the Toronto Region Board of Trade, and also the co-chair of the uh, Canada's Innovation Quarter Business Council. Great to see you. Thanks for coming here today. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here to talk about the summit and the okay. How did this evolve? Let's talk about this evolution. From both of you, I want to get into this. But, you know, we were there uh, with the Hamilton Economic Summit for a while. You guys, Burlington has always been on the leading edge when it comes to stuff like this. I thought this was a natural partnership, and that's how the the Bay Area Summit was born. But as you watch the growth that's happened here, it it was inevitable, and, and I think Every beneficial to everybody, I guess, that, that we broaden the, the, the net here and try to grab everybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Bill. It has been an evolution. It started, as you know, with the Hamilton Economic Summit. And three years ago, we created the Bay Area Economic Summit, which was jointly done between Burlington and Hamilton. But with the, the growth and, and the, the focus on advanced manufacturing and the work that, that the uh, KW Chamber, Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber, and the Toronto Board of Trade were doing around an innovation corridor and a transportation corridor, I think it started out as, we thought now's the time to broaden the scope of this summit and make it bigger, better, and about innovation in the entire corridor. When we were talking a couple of weeks ago, Jan, uh, that was one of the points I think we touched on, was there, there was a period of time, and it wasn't that long ago, where we looked in Hamilton, for instance, at Toronto, Burlington, KW as competitors. And, uh, and and that I mean that that's very myopic. Obviously, we're over that now. We're yeah. looking at that we're partners. Well, we're partners, but we're, we also need to recognize we are part of the largest economic zone in Canada, the Greater Toronto Hamilton area and KW region. We've got 37 municipalities, 21,000 businesses. About 20% of the country's GDP is generated in this zone. So there is a huge upside to our communities in working together to realize the full potential that we have here in the in this economic zone the corridor. And from an economic standpoint, uh, there are no city boundaries. I mean, people that are looking to invest, people that are looking for for, uh, centers of excellence, don't care where the boundary is between Hamilton and Burlington. Don't care about you know whether this is Oakville or Brant or any of that. They just say that area is that where the workforce is? Is that where the expertise is? Well, you're so right, and uh, you know our businesses and our workforces transit through and around the corridor. So we need to make it easy for people to move. We need to make it easy for goods to move to be really productive and efficient. So how are we doing on that? We are. Um, we've got lots of room for improvement. <laughs> let's put it that way, and that's well, you're, why you're that's why we've come together. Your glasses have full person to be sure. I mean, we've had challenges and issues, and, and something we've been talking about for years, Keith, about about goods movement. And, and I know that governments at Queen's Park have tried to address the problem in and, and different ways and different ideas, but uh, we, we still are faced with a number of different issues here. And what the focus of this today is obviously moving people, but more importantly, moving goods. That's, that's what makes the economy go. Yeah, when I talk to, to business leaders in, in my community in Burlington, the number one issue that they have is moving movement of people and goods. You know, getting their employees to their their work site and getting their their supplies in and their their finished goods out. So it's a huge issue. And and Jan's absolutely right. There are some very big challenges in the GTA. But it's a very tough nut to crack. It's easy to say just build more highways, but it's not as easy as that. So it's a really difficult problem to solve. But we, you know, you have to guess before you identify a problem. You have to do an an analysis again, Jan, of what you've got. And uh, we are well placed here. I mean, you know, Hamilton, the busiest cargo airport in the country. Mm-hmm. Pearson Airport is. What can we say about Pearson? It's a, you know, it's 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 an, a magnet for business. Uh, but at the same time, that success brings challenges. I mean, you were just talking about highway congestion and that little stretch on the 401 just by Pearson Airport is. What were you telling me? It's the most congested highway in Canada and it's number four in North America. It's a huge pain point for movement of goods and movement of people. Anybody that's driven that would be not surprised at all by that. I mean, it's like that just about every day. Uh, that's people moving, that's goods moving. 
Uh, how frustrating is it be for, is, is now for a business that's actually saying, okay, I've got to get my stuff to market? Uh, well, it, it's incredibly frustrating. And if you think of what our economic zone, the corridor, represents, it's the largest center of manufacturing in the country. We, we are the most engaged in cross-border trade, our integrated cross-border supply chain. You think of manufacturing uh, groups like GM in Oshawa, and they're saying they just can't get just-in-time inventory to their production line because of the congestion uh, in around the corridor. If we look at even the uh, Hamilton area, um, we've got a lot of capacity where we could be leveraging the airport, the ports, the rail modal that's here, and we haven't thought it through. So that's why, uh, as a chamber network, we've come together and written a series of reports that we've researched in terms of collecting data on what is the problem spot. How is that impacting businesses? How is it impacting households? Because congestion costs household in cost of goods because the good costs go up. It's about 325 dollars more a year residents in the corridor are paying for goods because of the cost of congestion you mentioned a phrase that I think is key to this whole thing just in time delivery that's that's where the bar is set now isn't it mm -hmm. you can't just say well I'll get that stuff there eventually no it's got to get there as quickly as yeah. possible yeah and we did what what triggered all of this um, we met some folks from Texas the state of Texas they have three border crossings with Mexico and they had a lot of residents in the state of Texas really frustrated with the trucks on the highways all the time so they actually monitored where those trucks crossing the border ended up and over a five-day period those trucks were delivering goods to continental USA so it was really critical that they figured out what were the efficiencies and they put together a freight mobility council that looked at what are the most efficient efficient connection points to connect cargo to different modes of transit. I come back to the opportunity we have in Hamilton because our research has shown us that of the transport trucks that originate in Ontario going into the U.S., 75% are returning vacant, empty on the highways taking up space and of the trucks originating in the U.S. into southern Ontario, 50% are on the highways going back empty. So our ability to try to coordinate Hamilton as a gateway would be a really interesting opportunity to offload goods at that point and create more efficiency for the corridor. But you've had dialogue with with our friends from across the border in Erie County and other places about trying to coordinate that, haven't you? Well, we have and we've actually, there's some work going on right now about border pre-clearance which will deal yeah. with highways and with airports as on the goods side which will dramatically improve efficiency but it's also trying to get alignment through the Great Lakes region uh, because we've got different kinds of tolling systems we've got all kinds of different technologies that are being deployed which slows things down so it's how do we start thinking about this as an inter integrated zone and and businesses obviously Keith have to be cognizant of that I mean you know time is money I know that sounds like a well-worn phrase but people use it a lot because it's true I mean if business can't get their goods to market it costs them a lot of money. Well, absolutely. That's why they're in business, is to get their goods to market, sell their, their goods, and, and make some money. So it, it absolutely is crucial. And, and, and therein lies part of the challenge. And I know there have been some solutions. I was talking to you before we started the segment here, but uh, one of the projects that, uh, that the provincial government's been kicking down the hall for the last little while, and that was a mid-pen highway. And, mm. and, it's, and it's had some problems. I mean, I know that the folks in Halton and Burlington were concerned about one of the legs of that. I've got the solution for it, by the way. And, and I've, met, I've actually told Premier Wynne about this, and she didn't act on it, unfortunately. Uh, build it from Hamilton Airport to the border. Get that done. I said the second leg, uh, obviously what you do is you run it right through Brantford and Kitchener-Waterloo up and heck up to the 401 series. Because yeah. those guys are dying for an expanded Highway 24. If you give them that road, that's a win for KW. It's a win for Hamilton. Halton doesn't get touched. So that was one of the solutions that we proposed See? to the government. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of connecting the airport with the border and then not having the, the second leg run through Halton region, but to we, connect which was Kitchener. Which no idea anyway. Well, but to connect Kitchener-Waterloo, yeah. Cambridge, those areas with the airport or, or with the, the highway was absolutely the right solution. But yeah, I, because I, as, I, as you guys know, I mean, for instance, Brantford and some of those other communities are already using Hamilton Airport as part of their marketing. Yeah. Why, why not yeah. make it easier to get there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think our, our previous government uh, just wasn't in the business of spending money on infrastructure, investing in new infrastructure. All of the, the transportation money they were spending was based on transit. And there are good reasons to do that, but it wasn't solving the problem of getting goods to market. But That's isn't that rather naive, though, simply say, Jan, look, at if we build more GO trains, everybody's going to get off the highway. That's not going to happen. No, it's, it's not going to happen because it's not going to solve the whole thing. But I think what we've tried to do by looking at the problem against 37 municipalities, because that's how big the corridor mm -hmm. is, when you start to bring out a big calculator to say, if we only fix it in Brampton, what does that mean for Mississauga? What does it mean for Milton? 
you start to understand the spillover effects and the congestion problem for moving people from KW is very much symptomatic of this pain point, this choke point we have around Pearson Airport and the 400 series where they connect there. So our ability to fix that, and that doesn't deal with more go service, it's about how do we rethink goods movement, how do we think about possibly a dedicated freight line from the airport to Brampton to CN Intermodal so that the trucks don't have to offload under the 401, drive up to Brampton, drop off the goods to get on rail. How do we start thinking about the need for expanded capacity for CN because Brampton is already at capacity and they've got land allocated in Milton, which is a sensitive issue because there's been residential development that's been allowed around the land site that's supposed to be the next intermodal rail site. So it's starting to think more collectively about what are the pain points today and what does the future look like? If we have 1.7 million more people forecast to move into the corridor in the next decade, we've got to start thinking about what that means as well. Well, because a lot of them may want to work in the GTA, for instance. They can't afford to live there, mm-hmm. so they're going to commute. And and that's why you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, commuter traffic and commuter trains, et cetera, are going to be part of the solution, but it's yeah. not the only solution. But uh, but therein lies the problem about just how to do this. And, uh, you know, the, the problem, I guess, here, too, is, is, you know, we're blessed here because we've got an awful lot of the assets you've talked about. We have rail. We have airports. Uh, we have road infrastructure, although I think, I think it's about 50 years behind the time. And, and on any given product, Keith, more often than not, a product that, that goes from where it's being produced to market will often use two, three of those of those modes of transportation. Absolutely it does. There are, there are companies that are in the business of just moving goods for manufacturers. It's such a complicated system. It, it doesn't just get on a truck and go from A to B. It's far more complicated than that. So our, our system needs to address that. It needs to adapt so those different modes of transportation can be used effectively to get goods to market. But, but that means you're going to have to be improve each and every one of them, from short sea shipping right down to rail to, to ev- just about everything. Yeah, it's not a single motor, modal no. issue. It's it's looking collectively at movement of people, movement of goods, and growth in the zone itself in terms of population, because that triggers more demand. The other thing that we haven't even touched on, but we are going to be doing some research on this year, is the impact of e-commerce on movement of goods, because you're getting retailers of all sizes actively involved in e-commerce, and that creates additional pain points in terms of how do you quickly get those goods to market market. We had um, a trade mission recently. We brought some Canadian retailers to China because some of the e-commerce platforms there are desperate for Canadian products to come on board. Companies like Alibaba, which is an e-commerce platform, actually runs smart traffic systems for some of the cities in which they distribute goods because they've got a 24-hour delivery cycle they need to fulfill. So they're trying to help the cities figure out how to traffic manage things so they can get goods in in time. So there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done, but you're absolutely Absolutely right. It's not. We can't just look single single modal or single municipality. We have to look at the zone. There are cynics that will look at e-commerce, by the way, and say, "Well, it's such a small percentage of of the market, but it's growing every year." And and I'd rather be proactive on this than reactive. Yep. And how do we use transit to solve housing problems? If we put condos over tra- uh, transit stations, we could get people moving out of the core into other parts of the corridor. So there's a lot of things that we need to be looking at in a holistic. Which well, is the exact approach that we're taking yeah. in Burlington. If yeah. you look at the GO stations, they're being intensified, they're being redeveloped, and it's a mix of residential, retail, and commercial, but right at the GO station, mm-hmm. so that if those people work in Toronto, they can get on the GO train, go make their money in Toronto, come home and buy their bikes and their bread and, and all their other goods right here in Burlington. Yeah. It's, it's the, the right way to develop that, that meets transportation needs uh, and employment needs at the same time. And we, we surveyed the young professionals who are working in downtown Toronto. 42% say they'd be receptive to leaving the downtown if they could live somewhere that's got easy commute times right. for them. Well, and that's the, the mantra, isn't it? I mean, public transit's only going to work if it's affordable and convenient. And we're not there yet. Yeah. Well, we're missing densification opportunities. I do believe Burlington and Oakville are much further ahead. We've got problems in Toronto where you've got nimbyism and people just don't want the densification, but we've got to get over that because our kids need somewhere to live and we need them in the workforce. Yeah, and, and failing that, of course, they're just going to get in their vehicles every day and jam up the highways. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's the problem, and they get frustrated, and it's, it's, it's just it's a lose-lose situation for everybody. So 
are, are we moving the yard sticks at all? I mean, we've identified an awful lot of problems. We've known some of these things for years now. Uh, obviously, this is not just going to be done by chambers of commerce and even local governments. This is going to have to take a coordinated effect from mm -hmm. federal, state, and down there. And, of course, in our particular situation, provincial situations as well. Do, is there a team together that, that's on the same page with this, Jan? The, the chambers are working very, very closely yeah. together. As, a, as evidenced by today. Yeah. And um, our Board of Trade is about to embark on a larger scale project to develop what we're calling an economic blueprint. And we want to look at the corridor, work with some uh, universities and some uh, think tanks to pool data together to start saying um, we're going to release a report fall of 2019 that says here's what the quarter is going to look like five years out. Here's what's happening from a population perspective. Here's what's happening around the competitiveness of our sectors in the corridor. And here are the infrastructure needs that need to be fulfilled in order to accommodate all of this. That's information that we want to share both municipally but more importantly provincially and with the federal government. We've already been in speaking to the federal government because Canada and the U.S. are the only two OECD countries that don't do infrastructure investments against economic blueprints in these large metro areas. We tend to focus on shovel-ready, bright and shiny new projects as opposed to saying if we don't deal with highways over the next decade, we're going to have a bigger problem around how people get to work and how goods get to market. So it's starting to build out that blueprint, which is surprising, but governments just haven't had access to that kind of data or haven't taken a look at things from a large economic zone perspective. Well, for the longest time, Canada was the only G7 nation without a national transportation plan. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's embarrassing, really, given the size of our country and the needs that we have economically. Agreed. So we got to get there. Uh, and you got to get back into work there, boy, you guys. I, I know it's a busy, busy schedule for both of you. Uh, thanks so much for, for not just being here today, but for all the great things that you guys are doing. I mean, I, I'm optimistic about what's going to be happening here uh, because of, of this collaboration that's gone on. And we haven't even talked about the educational component, but, uh, you know, the great universities and facilities like oh. U of T and McMaster. Uh, McMaster, of course, with the footprint in Burlington now, yep. too, and, and, and that partnership with KW. There's a lot of things to be positive about. Oh, huge. I mean, the opportunity is tremendous. Just tremendous. And we've just got to seize the moment and, and make it happen. And that's what today is all about. Yeah. Exactly. Opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we're talking, and that's a good thing. Uh, Jan Silva, great to see you. Thank you Thanks, so much. Uh, Keith Hoey, always a pleasure to have you guys here. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We are live today from the Corridor Summit at the RBG. Uh, the first annual of, and, and this great collaboration that we've been talking about over the last little while and the great anticipation about what was going to be going on today. And uh, part of that, as we were talking about with our guests in the first segment, was about the, the partnerships and collaborations that are being established here and, uh, and, and basically sharing of innovation and, and so many other things and experiences. I mean, you know, any of the challenges that we've talked about, obviously, uh, are not unique to, to any particular city here. They happen other places. And, boy, you get your heads together on this and you can come up with solutions. Uh, to that end, we're so, so pleased to welcome our next guest. Ian McLean is the president and CEO of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for coming down here today, and uh, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty exciting time. Uh, from our standpoint here, of course, we started with economic summits here in Hamilton mm -hmm. some time ago. Then they, uh, that grew into the Bay Area, and now this this fabulous idea of the Corridor Summit. But it's, uh, I think it's about time that we started working together to try to solve problems. Because this, uh, this is a, a, a fabulous area when you look at the positive things that are happening here. And, and frankly, and a lot of it started up in, in KW years ago with what happened with RIM and, and that. And that, I think that helped to redefine what we were all about here. Yeah, you know, this is... The, this cooperation and collaboration we've got between the the eight chambers of commerce is uh, is I think uh, it's it's very it's reinvigorating for me as a as a member of a uh, of the chamber network. One of the things that 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 I and I don't I, I think Jan De Silva from the Toronto Board of Trade deserves a lot of credit um, for reaching out beyond Toronto. In years past, when I've got to the chamber uh, Greater KW Chamber eight years ago. Um, it was Toronto did its own thing, and everyone else was trying to how do we connect with Toronto. Jan, or how do we compete with? Or Toronto. how do we compete with Toronto? But I think Jan, because she grew up in Kitchener and understands um, that the, uh, the great things that are happening in Kitchener Waterloo and around Toronto, uh, really did a great job of saying, and she and I started of saying, we've got to work together. Toronto's transit problems are Hamilton's and their KWs. We have more people going, uh, coming from Toronto into the region of Waterloo now than going the other way. When I was doing the commute 
15 years ago, it was the other way. So our, our shared um, interests around transit, talent, the companies that we have um, along the corridor, Manulife, uh, think about the tech companies, the manufacturers, they all have facilities right through the corridor. And so it was uh, it was great that, that she uh, took that leadership of saying we need to work together. And so bringing in people like Keenan uh, when we're doing the movement of goods and services study, but understanding that the university sector, the college sector, the business communities, we need to be working together. We can't compete globally by ourselves. We need to be saying this zone, this economic zone, uh, is is so important to Canada's economy, and for us to be successful, we got to work together. And and I think that's uh, to me that's what's exciting about this. Well, and it's that collaboration. I mean, between communities, but also with uh, the institutions within those communities. And and, and in KW, you guys, like as I say, were one of the innovators when it came to to, to tapping into that university, for mm-hmm. instance, and and saying that's a resource. That's you know that's that's where we're going to get our intellect from. And and Hamilton's done that with McMaster, and certainly U of T, and and uh, Ryerson, and a number of other uh, universities in this area and and there's a much more collaboration uh, with business now and 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 Virgin's educational institutions and I think everybody wins because of that absolutely and you know I, th- I think U of W uh, in particular really started the idea of saying intellectual property that is developed and is owned by the uh, by the professors or the researchers themselves really created the the uh, the, the notion that there's uh, there's an economic aspect to it that where you can get commercialization when when there's research done and professors own it and that's how we that you, we talked before we went on air that's how RIM happened yeah, you know, the yeah. research gets done and it and it starts to be uh, um, commercialized and and incubated and I think that's one of the things that when we look at, um, at at you know sort of Toronto and Waterloo and 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 Hamilton and all the points in between we have um, certainly on our end I I speak lovingly of Laurier I'm a graduate of Laurier the one of the best business schools in the country, U of W with computer science, mathematics, uh, just a tremendous, and co-op, leading co-op um, experiential learning institution in the country, Conestoga College, uh, tremendous uh, mm-hmm. practical, and, and so we have all of those, Sheridan, you know, U of T, McMaster, we have all, we have to leverage those things to the business community. One of the things I found interesting about that, because I think it's it's important that, that you've highlighted that, that we've got these, these building blocks, uh, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, is is that we when we when we we were together as a, as a business group with the Canada's Innovation Quarter Business Council, um, but the cooperation and collaboration that happened when we were putting our bid in or, or submitting our, our uh, bid for the um, uh, advanced manufacturing supercluster the federal government had is that universities, colleges, business interests, municipalities, we all came together and said we know we have to we have to work together. What I found interesting was when we put our final, the, the, the formal bid in for the in, in the final phase, many of us looked and said, even if we're not successful, we, we, we thought we should be and we were ultimately were, but even if we weren't, the boards of trades, the universities, the college, the municipalities, we have to work together. Like we, we had, and, and we had developed that framework that even if we hadn't got that supercluster funding, we were going to continue down the path of saying we we're stronger together than separately. But you, that was the eureka moment, I think, for all of us. Uh, you spent some time in, in government, too, uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting. And I, I'm not trying to be cryptic in this, but I mean, when it comes to federal governments and provincial governments, uh, if they want somebody else to do the heavy lifting for them. You know, you guys come up, if, if they're never going to come down and say, hey, I want to organize all of you guys. They don't have time for that. They really don't want to be bothered. But if you can go to them and say, look at what we've done here. Look at the team we've mm-hmm. assembled. Look at the game plan we've got. They love to jump on board and, and you know, for what they think is going to be a winning project. And that's basically what you handed them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to their credit, they did say, which we found from a business pr- community perspective through the chambers was, this needed to be business-led. This wasn't money yeah. going to the universities and say, okay, how do you want to do research? This was, what does the business community need to get to that next generation? Not incremental change, what to next generation, to that to that um, that world leading in a sector. And we ultimately chose advanced manufacturing, which leverages technology, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, but also what our strength, which is manufacturing. It's right in your wheelhouse. It's, it, it is. Our and, wheelhouse. And, and, and we, we talk about, people say, oh, you're from Waterloo, and there's the University of Waterloo, and there's technology. The number one employer is still manufacturer. The number two employer, if you include food processing, is agriculture. In fact, in fact, it might be reversed. So we have a lot of interest in saying how do we practically take technology and put it into the business sectors. Waterloo Region, and this is this is why this is so important to us. This the work that we do. Waterloo Region has about in equal measure about six different business sectors: manufacturing, our agriculture, technology, services, um, a- academia. 
And so we very much look like a, a, a smaller version of Toronto. And it's important for us to support all of those business sectors. And and Hamilton and this region have a lot of those, that same well, similarity. Our, our agri-food business here is a billion dollars Absolutely. plus. Uh, steel industry, everybody says, oh, steel's dying. They're still going to make stuff. There are 30,000 steel-related jobs in yep. the Hamilton area. Yep. Uh, and they're not all at the foundries or the mills necessarily, but steel-related. So mm-hmm. it's still there, which is why advanced manufacturing is so important. Uh, and why not, uh, you know, put our heads together on this with what you guys are doing, with what we were doing at the Innovation Park and at McMaster and Mohawk, uh, and of course what they're doing in Toronto. You know, to, this, this whole idea about all boats rise with a high tide, and uh, it's it, it's in. I don't want to say it was inevitable that this was going to happen, but it certainly is beneficial that it's happened. Absolutely, and again, I come back and say for all the reasons you just described, the fact that this is business-led and that we say we need to support those industries on a number of different levels. And I know I listened in a little bit of uh, to Jan. And, and Keith's uh, segment with you. Movement of goods and services is hugely important. Moving people between uh, the jobs, that uh, the new jobs of the new economy, is that that is critically important. But also moving the goods. We are the um, uh, industrial heartland of, of Canada. So getting it, 20% of the Canadian, Canadian economy up, is right here. Yep, 20, just over 20% is yeah. right here in in this in this in this region in Toronto, Hamilton, uh, Waterloo corridor. So I mean, we have to be. Um, driving uh, new opportunities here not only for the for for us locally but for the province and for the country and and so that fact that it's business-led and that we're bringing our partners in academia and municipalities and saying we have to grow uh, livable communities we have to have um, uh, the educational opportunities both practically and research oriented for the jobs of the future uh, for that information um, a, a, a knowledge economy is critically important, and you know the things that we're going to talk about today. And I, I, as your listeners, it's critically important when we talk about t- the talent agenda, making sure we have the jobs. We know that in Waterloo Region, there are thousands of open jobs right now in advanced manufacturing, technology, right across the spectrum. We can't fill the jobs that are available right now. Good, well-paying, um, you know, jobs of the future because we don't have the right talent with the right education. So that's that's important. I'm hearing the same thing, Ian. When we talk to folks from from the innovation factory and the innovation park over here and 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 some great entrepreneurs and you guys are seeing this happening mm-hmm. almost every week and and these crump these companies start to grow and they've become successful and i said what's your biggest challenge just trying to find talented people no there's no question at the ontario chamber of commerce annual meeting uh any meeting that i have with with my um business leaders in in the region of waterloo uh go to toronto every, the number one issue and there's a lot we're worried about free trade and NAFTA and all of those sorts of things. We're worried, worried about energy prices. But the number one issue that my members, no matter the basket of issues that are of concern to them across sectors, is talent. The number one far and away. Move, movement of goods and services, we talked about, but that's also infrastructure. Do we have the right road network? Do we have the right, uh, um, like for us, all-way, two-way go? I know you're dealing with LRT oh, here. Yeah. We, we've just finished. Well, we're trying to deal with all-day go as well. Yeah, and, and so both of those are important because we we can't, you know, I always said when I was a city councilor Waterloo and they said, oh, geez, we did, we're, we're going to expand Westmount or one of the main arteries. At some point, you can't make the roads any wider to take the cars. you got to move, take cars off the road so that you can move the goods and have people that fast, efficiently can get from Hamilton to Toronto or from Toronto to Waterloo. And it needs to be frequent so people can make that choice. So the talent agenda, the infrastructure agenda, the movement of goods and services, those things are, are probably, and then obviously leveraging the technology to the existing um, sectors we have but taking it to that next generation. It's not about, we're not talking incremental change. We need to be, what's the next step that we can take that next that uh, that next giant step and become world leaders in, across sectors? Yeah, because there's some great things have gone on, obviously, you know, at, in KW, with and RIM, everybody goes to RIM, but I mean, there's a lot of other companies doing some great work there, and we, we've, we've done some landmark things here in Hamilton when it comes to medical technology. Mm-hmm. You know, the robotic uh, surgical arm was developed here. Uh, the the Vandalum puffer was developed here in Hamilton years and years ago uh, at the Firestone Clinic, and, and on and on it goes. But the thing we always didn't seem to be able to ha- get our heads around was monetizing some of that stuff. Yep. In other words, great ideas, super ideas, but how do you actually tie that into economic development? Uh, we're getting there now. You guys started it in KW, mm-hmm. certainly, and, and I think I think everybody now is starting to get this idea that we, we've got to use that as, as part of the discussion. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's lots of aspects to that, but uh, when you've got a startup sector, and I know you've got one here with the Innovation Park, you've uh, yeah, in Mars in Toronto, you have to support through 
programs to get uh, those startups up and running, get the talent they need when they need it, but also the sort of the the the, the VC and the and the, the capital formation that's that's really important if you want to scale those companies. Uh, but but having um, having the the uh, the cooperation between academia and business and 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 between municipalities, all of those things um, really pl- um, are, are so important to the success of companies like Black BlackBerry succeeded because it had a great idea. It had great education with Doug Fragan and, and Lazaridis and brought in Jim Balsley, but they, they were able to get the financing in place and then were able to scale. And frankly, you know, where they've they've ended up is is not the story. The real story is Waterloo Region and the tech sector is there and is doing as well as it is because of the University of Waterloo and Blackberry. That, I mean that that's that's a, that, that's the evolutionary tale, and but we need to support through those things I talk about infrastructure, t- uh, talent, um, the education system, movement of goods and, and people uh, is so critical if we're going to make sh- make sure we don't get in our own way because as you point out we have the building blocks in Hamilton, in Toronto, in the Waterloo region we can't we can't get in our own way and that also means to you know not to be too controversial but the provincial government. The new provincial government in Ontario, the federal government, they have to pick some lanes and go into it and say, how are we going to put the limited resources we have to maximize the economic opportunity for the country? And that, and frankly, they've made a choice by selecting next generation manufacturing yeah. and funding that. Yeah. But on infrastructure needs, there's there's more ass than there are than there is money to to fund them. But I think they're going to have to look and say, how can we create more wealth and with the limited dollars we have? And this this uh, this conference and this GTA broader GTA is how you're going to create economic wealth that can help do other things across the province and across the country. There's a, there's another role here that the chambers are playing, and, and I know you're doing it in KW. Keenan's certainly doing it, and Keith is doing it in Burlington. Uh, and that's advocacy. I mean, chambers used to simply be a, well, for a lobbying agency, I mean, and they mm-hmm. were the voice of small business, and, and, and they did a wonderful job for generations of that. But you're you're looking to the future now as chambers of commerce. You're offering mentorship. You're offering mm-hmm. uh, connections for people that are looking for that support services. I mean, as as we've discovered here, an awful lot of entrepreneurs have great ideas, but they don't have the business acumen. They need to talk to somebody about that. And 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 you're a conduit for that now. That's a, a new role, relatively new role for the chamber, but a very important one. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that that we that you talked about mentorship, um, getting the practical programs in place to support small business. Look. You know, my chamber would be be reflective of the business community, but probably uh, uh, 60, 62 percent of my members have 10 employees or less. It's probably about when you get to five employees or less, half of our members, and that's the same right across the country. So we need to support that that entrepreneur, that that small business, because that's where most of the jobs are, um, with practical programs that that can help them. Uh, and that advocacy part starts with government understanding that that the ways that they need to support the small and medium-sized enterprise in this country. And that is a hugely important... I mean, I guess we've always done that in the chamber network, uh, the chamber world, uh, but I think it is really important that that, that we continue to, to share that message that you want to create jobs. There's not enough big companies to create the jobs. You need to bring along the small and medium-sized enterprise, making sure that they're uh, investing in technology, that they're becoming produ- uh, productive, that the talent is there when they're ready to grow so they can they can do that in real time. And so that the, all the again, when we go back to the four pillars or the three pillars we're talking about today, talent, infrastructure, movement of people and goods, those things all tie into how we're going to support the small small business sector. And you're absolutely right. The role that I play in Kitchener-Waterloo, Greg DeRocher plays in Cambridge, Kithio uh, and Keenan uh, and right across the, the corridor is to make sure that we're, we're um, amplifying that small business. What are the things that they need uh, on, on a broad array of, of topics? Um, and today is, is, is a classic example of saying, how do we actually get new technology and to- technology adoption into small business? Um, they need to, Business needs to see the importance of it, but government also needs to see the opportunity that's in front of it in making wise investments so that small and medium-sized business can uh, can make their make the choice to invest and, and provide those job opportunities. We're going to talk about, uh, we've got about a minute or so left here, but uh, later on in the show we're going to be talking about some of those uh, educational institutions. Mm-hmm. But they're asking the right questions now. I mean, there was a day when you'd simply go through school, you get your degree, your diploma, or whatever it was, and they'd say, okay, out the door, go have a good life, good mm-hmm. luck, I'll catch you later. 
Uh, now those institutions are asking business, what do you need? What do you need? And they're tailoring programs for those needs. And and that is, I think, one of the key factors in this innovation that we're seeing. Absolutely. You know, one of the pieces that we're seeing, and we're actually hosting a pilot program in, in uh, Greater Kitchener-Waterloo with uh, Wilford Laurier-Waterloo and, and Conestoga in experiential learning, whether that's co-op, whether that's project work, of making sure that students actually get into a workplace and yeah. say, what are those opportunities? And it's even going into high school. that we're, we're seeing you have to get students into the workplace places and say here's the here's the opportunities before you so they can start to see job over here here what education do I need to get there and so the experiential learning that and U of W really did pioneer that with its co-op program but you're seeing it right across the province from U of T to McMaster to Sheridan to Conestoga College Wilfrid Laurier where that practical part of saying um, how do we get uh, kids into the workplace so they can actually see what what the skills they will need in order to be fill those jobs uh, of the future which are knowledge jobs they're they're uh, and so th- that experiential learning and and enabling um, the workforce of the future to see what's in front of them as they're going in real time through the educational process is really important so much more to talk about uh, in so little time we have to do a break in a couple of seconds great to have you here Ian thanks so much for this today thanks for having me Ian McLean president and CEO of the uh, Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce you're listening to the Bill Kelly show weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML we're uh, on the road today actually we're at the RBG the Royal Botanical Gardens uh, for the Corridor Summit the first Corridor Summit uh, with all these many many partners that we've been talking about over the last little while uh, it is uh, phenomenal to see the uh, the reaction that we're getting here from a number of the participants. And uh, the guests we've had on so far, obviously, we've talked about uh, some of the challenges and uh, some of the teamwork that's gone on to date. But uh, when Ian McLean was with us from the uh, the KW Chamber uh, just a few minutes ago, he was talking about support services and being able to offer uh, new businesses and startups uh, the kind of support that they need. Well, our next guest knows a, a lot about that. Eshu uh, Jeju is the global lead with Manufacturing Industry Salesforce. And uh, joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Thanks for coming over today. Great to see you today. Thanks for having me, Bill. What do you think of the conference? This is a great conference. Uh, we absolutely love it. And uh, innovation is on the agenda for manufacturers, so we are very happy to be part of that uh, conversation. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you do at Salesforce, and, and maybe we could uh, from that dovetail into CRM software and what, what, what advantage and what a, an asset that can be to companies. Yeah, so my role at uh, Salesforce is, as you said, uh, to lead the manufacturing industry's uh, vertical. And what we help do is help manufacturers innovate on our platform so that they can deliver exceptional customer experiences for their end customers. CRM stands for? Customer Relationship Management. Okay, just so people understand what the acronym is. So explain to us exactly how that can be beneficial to a company. Well, it's very simple, Bill, uh, in our minds, right? Uh, You and I, when we go on uh, buying uh, stuff online, we expect information on our fingertips. We essentially provide that type of technology so that manufacturers can provide information to their sales and service people on their fingertips, mobile, so that they can deliver those exceptional services and customer experiences to their end customers. Well, this is obviously cutting through an awful lot of paperwork then. Well, if I'm a customer, I don't want to have to work to search to get information. And that's the that's the key here. How I'm, I'm going to get frustrated and say, to heck with it, I'm going someplace else. Exactly. That's the key. Uh, the idea is take all of this information that is sitting in the back offices or on paper and basically digitize that and make it available on your mobile phones. That's that's the type of uh, services that we are talking about. How, how recent is this technology? This is uh, this is such a no-brainer. I think mean, every company should be using this. I'm, I'm doing your advertising for you, but it just seems so natural. It's, it, it just seems so natural. So uh, obviously Salesforce has been at this for a long time. Uh, we started our company 18, 19 years ago in 1998. Uh, but, but as you can see, technology has evolved. And we made a significant pivot as a company around 2008, 2009 timeframe when mobile became really key and so everything that we developed on our platform is mobile first and and that allows us to essentially give our manufacturers this ability to pull information and provide it in a mobile first environment. Now you've seen of course the company started in the west coast uh, for many years ago as you mentioned uh, and you've seen development and you've seen innovative centers before you I mean you've seen what happened in the Silicon Valley you've seen some other great innovative centers what do you see here what do you see happening in this area? So I what I see is innovation is going to drive the differentiation for manufacturers. So it's not about just making the widget the easiest and the fastest way possible. However, innovating on that and providing that to your customers so that they can really 
understand the value of the product that you're delivering and the services that you're delivering. So it's all about innovation, driving differentiation, and that's what I'm seeing. This conversation at this conference is all about how do we help manufacturers beco become innovative. So that's that's the exciting part of being here. That's an important step, but often a step that, uh, that a lot of folks have very difficult uh, time making. Uh, I notice that when I talk to and interview a number of uh, entrepreneurs that come into some of the processes that we have in Hamilton with the Innovation Park, uh, I always ask if there's one, more than one guy, I say, okay, which one's the, the, the innovator, which one's the business guy? Because uh, oftentimes it's not the same person. Uh, you know, that left side brain, right side of the brain thing. Some people have these fabulous ideas, but they don't know how to put a business case together. They don't know how to build the, the assets that they need to sustain that business. Yeah, and, and that's the key here, right? Like, and so it's not their fault. I mean, it's, it's new to them, right? It is new, and uh, traditional manufacturers, they've always been challenged with this. Where do I go spend my money? Yeah. Building another new plant or focus on innovation and deliver innovative experiences for our customers. So I'll give you one example. Brampton Brick, a local manufacturer here, they, they looked at, a, at their business and said, okay, we have to grow in a very different way. And, and the, their main focus was, as they were thinking about growth, was on focusing on the customers, the dealers, the distributors, and the people who touch the end customers. As we, you and I, we were discussing, it's no-brainer, but I think that was the aha moment. And, and we'll talk to them at, at, the, at, at the panel here uh, later in the day. This is what we are talking about. They innovated out of like their business and and created a new exceptional customer experiences and have had phenomenal growth because of that. Because if I'm a startup, I got two questions when it comes to the business side. Uh, what do I need? What tools do I need? And where do I get them? And, and you answer both questions. Yes, and we do. And the beauty of this is now with the new technologies that are available, you don't, like, if you if you think about traditional technologies that required you to set up, like, your own server farms and, and, and all of these data centers and all of that. But with cloud, you, technology is very avail easily available. So think about things like Gmail that you use today. Very similarly, Salesforce, you just have to get on the worldwide like internet, log into your system, and you have information available. Where can they get information about this? For all these innovators that are listening right now saying, i got to talk to that guy. Well, the easiest way is to go to salesforce.com. CA, yeah. right? And uh, like we have a Canadian-specific uh, website, and we have great stories of manufacturers who are innovating on our platform and talking about how they're delivering these exceptional experiences to their end customers, but also how they're driving their business forward. And that's the key. Well, for every successful startup, you need somebody like Salesforce to, to get there and make it sustainable. And you guys are doing just a great job. Ashu, thank you so much for this. Thanks for having great me. Great to Bill. have you with us. Appreciate Thanks it. so much for being Thanks. here today. You. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We are uh, live today at the uh, Quarter Summit at the RBG. Uh, this uh, fabulous uh, congregation of folks that are talking about uh, businesses and about uh, entrepreneurship and about partnerships. And uh, you've heard already from uh, Jan De Silva from the uh, Toronto Board of Trade, uh, Keith Hoy from the Burlington Chamber, uh, Keenan Loomis, the Hamilton Chamber, is going to be here later on in the program, uh, and a number of other folks that uh, that want to get in on what's going on here and sharing of information. And, and one of the things we've talked about, of course, with advanced manufacturing is smart manufacturing, which is the evolution of, of what's going on here. It's, it's making products. It's still manufacturing. It's still industry, but it's doing it in a, a more efficient way. Sanjay Sagar is uh, is with uh, ArcelorMittal DeFasco, a business unit manager with Steelmaking Technology, and he's here to talk about this. How are you doing this morning? Uh, good, thanks, Bill. How are you enjoying uh, this 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 big confab of, of all these great minds here? Oh, it's a wonderful venue. Great topic for discussion for today. ArcelorMittal is, is, is cutting edge. I mean, DeFasco's been cutting edge for generations now uh, about steelmaking and about manufacturing. And, and so you guys are right on the leading edge of what, what we're talking about here today with smart manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, uh, we've done a lot of work in the past on innovation, and our BOF facility in Hamilton is one of the most automated furnaces in the world. If not, it is the automated, most automated in the world. Um, we're taking that work and we're moving it downstream. So we're working with the super cluster and the government and we're looking at automating and using some of the industry 4.0 techniques uh, to automate our uh, LMF facility. How do you tap into that information and what are you looking for? I mean, at any given point, you can look at this and say, this is going pretty well, but you guys don't seem to be settled for pretty well. You're always saying, well, what about tomorrow? Yeah, we're always continually benchmarking. I think we have a really good, um, we have really good people in Hamilton. We have a really good supply base and we have some universities, some academia in the local area. So we're always improving. We're always looking for safety, environmental initiatives that help and in, 
increasing our quality and uh, lowering our um, overall effort. Now, that's not new for you guys. I mean, you've been tied to the university and the college here for quite some time. Yeah, we've had the steel chair for many years. Uh, I graduated from McMaster, so I have a, I have a relationship there. But uh, we've, we work constantly with the universities and our other plants all over the world to continually benchmark and continually improve lowering costs. Well, and that's that's actually that's that's a great deal of foresight on the part of ArcelorMittal to FASCO. Uh, because, first of all, you're getting the expertise, obviously, but you're tapping into a potential workforce. Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking. We're really excited, super excited to work with the uh, Supercluster Initiative, and uh, we see it as a, a access to uh, raw materials such as intellectual capital, uh, some of the new Industry 4.0 uh, techniques such as uh, big data, infrastructure, cloud computing, big data analytics. I know it's complicated, but um, if we can infuse this into our existing LMF facility, we can uh, really, really improve uh, product quality, safety, environment. Um, I like to say blow the doors off manufacturing, but I think everybody's moving this way, uh, not just in the steel industry, the banking industry has been, uh, been doing it, the entertainment industry has been doing it for years. So we're uh, we're really excited to uh, to work on this initiative. Well, and, and exactly, because this is not the technology of tomorrow, this is the technology you need to survive today. Yeah, absolutely, and it's happening. And if we don't, if we don't um, uh, initiate this now, we'll be left behind. So we're, we're on the front curve, but we want to maintain that front curve and actually adopt it. Because I think if you put the good people in Hamilton at the at the facility, at the plant together with the people that do this kind of work, it's only going to um, it's only going to achieve uh, greatness, I call it. Now, you can talk as a former student, but obviously as somebody who's familiar with this, of course, with uh, the business unit manager here, uh, about the change that's gone on in, in the last generation or so maybe at those learning institutions, at those educational institutions. Uh, with Mohawk College, uh, the, the number one skilled trades community college in the province. Uh, some of the great stuff that's going on at McMaster. And, and i got to tell you, Sanjay, I got schooled on this myself. Uh, when I was talking to people like Mo Elbastawi and some of the other folks oh, yeah. that are working at, 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 at McMaster and, and Nick and, and some of the other folks at the Innovation Park, uh, to say, we've been doing this stuff for years. We just we don't talk about it. And I said, well, you should. Uh, you know, you got to blow your horn about this. I mean, some of the great uh, automotive technology when it comes to uh, design and, and, and efficiency of things like hybrid engines, that, that, stuff, that started at McMaster University. Yep. And others have jumped on side. And, and the, of course, I, we just talked with some of the students involved in that huge project they're doing right now where they're trying to revamp the Camaro and do a hybrid technology with that. Yep. Cutting edge stuff. And, and, uh, and that's new and that's different. And that's not just saying, okay, we're just going to teach you stuff. Uh, you know, the, you, we'll teach you theory and you can learn all the practical stuff when you graduate and go get a job. Yeah. That starts from day one now, doesn't it? Because of the collaboration between, for instance, McMaster, Mohawk, and, and ArcelorMittal. Absolutely. It's not just theoretical. It's like applying it. Yeah. You know, we have theoretical, but we're very good at applying those principles in plants and seeing gains and positive benefit from it. So, I mean, even when you were going to McMaster, I mean, you, you had a relationship with ArcelorMittal. I mean, you, you know, you, you knew what was going on. You learned about the technology. You learned how it was being used. Yeah. So I um yeah I, I I think we're very proud of the work we did with the KOBM facility. It's 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 cutting edge in the world. So we're just trying to move it downstream. It's some um, stuff we learned in house, and we work with vendors, we work with suppliers, we work with the smart people around the Golden Horseshoe, and we execute these projects that are are, are really advantageous for both of us, not only the Fasco but also the supply base. And I think that's where the super cluster is coming in, is that we can partner with uh with people around the Golden Horseshoe, and we can work together. And it provides benefit. I think the supercluster is expecting um, 50,000 jobs yeah, uh, to spark up from it, and then um, 50 billion dollars in benefits. So it's it's quite a bit of a of a horsepower and in, an in initiative. Okay, but do you share the concern I've heard from some of the other folks that are here today in, in business in manufacturing uh, that are saying, you know, we're concerned about finding finding that expertise and finding that workforce. I mean, we know that the technical expertise is there, but the employees of tomorrow that are going to be vetted into this stuff so they can step into those jobs. Uh, you know, just about everybody I talk to says, you know what, we have openings right now. We can't fill them with with, with talented people. That's correct. So, um, you know, I think the jobs of, uh, of yesteryear are, are rapidly changing, and that's what we're doing with the project. We're using robotics. We're using automation. We want to remove the manual, uh, uh, manual labor-type jobs out and create uh, jobs that are really uh, 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 intellectual-based. So we're not gonna we're gonna move from um, you know sampling and, and using our, our arms and our fists to uh, make steel, but then we're gonna use computers now to do it. So the jobs are changing. 
very rapidly. and just in the in the twenty five years that i've been at at defasco, i've seen it change dramatically from when we used to make steel in the in you know twenty five years ago to to today. what about the kind of steel? what about the products that you're making now? obviously, that's got to change. yeah, the products are getting harder to make. i think you hit on it, bill. you mentioned um we call it um you know advanced high strength steels. the automakers are looking for a steel that is stronger for collision impact, but also lighter for fuel efficiency. yeah. these grades of steel are harder to make. so we have to you know we have to actually improve our quality and our advanced manufacturing so we can consistently make these steels day in day out for our customers. because if we start making these steels and it's harder to make, we have a certain yield loss. we have to ensure that we maintain the same yield loss, but make all these uh, fancy fancy new products for the automakers. It's our, our our base customers. We we can't look at the steel industry and 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 the smart manufacturing that goes on at ArcelorMittal DeFasco uh, in isolation, though. I mean, because there are so many related industries that are relying on you to do that innovation and release new products. I mean, I'm I'm sure you'll get back to the office, you know, this afternoon and go, Sanjay, where's that stuff I'm looking for? Come on, we we're working on the design here for the new GM, whatever it is. We need that steel. We need that technology. Where are you on this? I mean, the pressure must be immense here. Yeah, it's immense because I think um, we made the comment that we have 5,000 non-unionized uh, people at working at the FASCO, but there's a whole subset of 20 to 30,000 people that rely are, are, are downstream and upstream of those jobs, so they rely on us. So we're, we're actively looking and, and scanning the market for um, uh, adding advantage. What, what advantage do you see here for ArcelorMittal DeFasco with, with this collaboration here? I mean, we've talked about the relationship with McMaster and Mohawk here in Hamilton, but but with this partnership that's being developed here, now we're talking about some of the innovation that's gone on with KW, uh, with Waterloo University, with Laurier, uh, University of Toronto, Ryerson University. Uh, I guess the more expertise, the more knowledge that's there, the, the more opportunity, the bigger the pool you've got to draw from, really. Yeah, the super super cluster is going to help answer that problem. It's, it's definitely going to help answer that problem. It's going to take us to a solution-based um, manufacturing. So we're going to work with the community at large and work with our in, inherent uh, DeFasco people, and we're going to build solutions for our customers. And we're going to maintain and uh, build smart manufacturing for the, not today, but for tomorrow. It's happening today, though. <laughs> it's exciting stuff. It is happening today. It's probably just, you know, it's, it's moved on since you and I started the conversation 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, that's how fast the industry seems to be moving. It's got to be exciting for you, though. It's really exciting. We're super excited for this initiative. It's, um, you know, we've done it at our furnace, and we're doing it at our uh, Ladle Met facilities where we make the, st- the grade of steel. Um, and it's it's just going to uh, add add value. There, there have, you, I don't want to get into the politics of this too heavily at all, but uh, but obviously there's been some concern about the, the viability of the steel industry, and, and I think I, I don't want to belittle the surfaces and the challenges that are there, but there's there's a future for steel in, in worldwide, and uh, especially people that can do it properly and do it efficiently and do it well smartly, really. Yeah. The way I look at it, Bill, is if uh, if you make steel with a very very high quality, which we do in Hamilton and you make it at the lowest cost, you have smart manufacturing, efficient resources, the smartest people in the world working on it in the local area, not just within our plant, it'll always be viable. Sounds, sounds like a win-win. Listen, thanks so much for jumping in here and talking to us about this, Sanjay. It's very informative, and we knew, obviously, that, that ArcelorMittal DeFasco was going to be on, on the cutting edge when it came to some of the innovative stuff that's going on here, and it's uh, no wonder that you guys are a player here, and I know that uh, there's a big contingent of you guys uh, involved in this every year, and uh, this it's it's... It's comforting to know because, I mean, that's what the future is going to be. Thanks for all the stuff that you've done for us here. Thanks, Bill. It was a pleasure. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.